go. Good morning. Good to, good to see you. I even, I even see a few faces that we have not seen in a long, long time. So welcome. It's uh, been praying that hopefully now that the vaccines are out and many of you are receiving the vaccines that over the next number of weeks we'll begin seeing more of you. So welcome back, those of you who've been away for, for so long. And for those of you who are watching from home, welcome to you as well. And look forward to our time together this morning. You know, Lent is traditionally patterned after the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting in the wilderness. Um, it marked the beginning, actually, of Jesus' public ministry. And we'll take a closer look at that in just a moment. But, but historically, the practice of Lent is, is also closely connected uh, to Jesus' death on the cross. And Lent is a season for reflection, uh, self-examination, um, and preparation um, leading into the celebration of Easter. And so for the month of March, these next four weeks, we're going to do just that together as we prepare ourselves for Easter. Um, now, many of you have commented on the, the conversation between Sunday's series and wondering when we're going to return. Take hope we will be returning um, I've been encouraged by your response and we'll return after Easter. But you know, there is spiritual value for us as a community experiencing seasons like Advent and Lent. Um, and even though it may feel like an interruption, it's not really. In fact, the interruptions of life as we design it become part of the beauty and the discipline of the church calendar as we pause to pay attention to events and experiences that define us as followers of Christ. The interruptions are a good thing. They pull us back and they cause us to remember and reflect. And, and so the rhythm and the beauty of this, well, I've named this series A Word in the Wilderness. Uh, it's inspired by Malcolm Gate in his book of poetry for Lent and Easter. And our home base text this month is going to be Luke 4, the first 13 verses. And I'd like you just to listen. I'm going to read the entire thing to you this morning. Uh, not that long, but just listen. Very familiar words. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to, test, to the test. 
And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The timing of this event in Jesus' life is important. You may remember the story. John the Baptist had emerged from the wilderness uh, with rough appearance and, and even rougher mannerisms. Um, announcing that the kingdom of God and calling people to repent of their sins and be baptized. And in that time, many wondered if John might actually be the Messiah. But John consistently pointed people to someone greater than him. And who that person was became clear uh, when Jesus approached John to be baptized. Listen, Listen to how Luke described it. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Well, the next day, John acknowledged what had taken place the day before, and and he goes on to write this in his gospel. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this this is God's chosen one, or as some translations say, this is the Son of God. So with his baptism, Jesus' identity as the Son of God and Jesus' mission, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, were affirmed by God the Father and God the Spirit. And you see this wonderful picture of the full involvement of the Trinity. Now, there was nothing coincidental on any level about these events. Each was very purposeful in the unfolding of this next chapter as Jesus came to to introduce the kingdom of God. And and right on the heels of Jesus' baptism, he was immediately led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And that's where we begin in verse 1. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three described Jesus as being led by the Spirit. That was a consistent message, that what was taking place was was the prompting and the movement, the direction of the Spirit of God. But only Luke used this phrase, full of the Spirit. Only Luke described it in that unique way. This journey into the wilderness was not just arranged by the purposes of God. It was directed by the Spirit of God, and Jesus was walking in close dependence upon the Spirit. Verse 2, and where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was hungry. Jesus would eat nothing for 40 days. Matthew and Mark provide a little bit more detail for us. Jesus lived among the wild animals and was attended to by angels during these 40 days. Um, 
and hungry and weakened, Jesus was protected by the, by the providence of God. And, and it was during this time as Jesus grew weaker that the devil tempted him. Well, today, what I'd like to do as an introduction to, to what we're going to see the next two or three weeks is I want to envision what was going on with Jesus' experience in the wilderness. What was unfolding as, as Jesus was led into the wilderness? It was very personal. It's obvious Jesus was completely alone in the wilderness. This was a private experience. And it was very purposeful. Jesus was intentionally led there by the Spirit of God. You see, there was a defining necessity to what took place in the wilderness. A defining necessity. It, it's almost as if something needed to take place before Jesus' story could continue. And the wilderness provided the ideal place in time for that to happen. In his book, The Way of Jesus, Eugene Peterson captured what was this defined necessity. Uh, and he wrote this, the temptation clarified at the very outset the ways in which Jesus would do his work as the Messiah. Who he was needed no letters of reference. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him was verification enough. His qualifications needed no further endorsement. This is my beloved son. Is it, it was definitive in that department. But how Jesus would go about his messianic work, this comprehensive reconciliation of all things, whether on heaven or earth, this salvation, this needs to be looked at closely, rigorously tested and the stakes are high, eternally high. We give close attention to what is going on in the testing and tempting of Jesus and note that the devil did not suggest that Jesus in any way renounce his calling. Turn back to something simpler, avoid responsibility, deny the validity of his baptism, or doubt the voice from heaven. The devil is content to leave the matters of the end result the goal, the purpose, the grand work of salvation, uncontested. His tempting is devoted exclusively to the ways that are best suited to accomplish the end to which Jesus is the way. I think that's wonderfully insightful about what's to take place. So you see, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, two realities become equally clear. They stood in sharp contrast Jesus' way and Satan's way. And we're going to see unfolded this contrast of the way of Jesus in moving his kingdom purposes forward. And that would center around the ways Jesus would serve and influence people and the ways Jesus would use his authority and power. And during these weeks in Lent, you and I will examine closely how we live in our ways in light of Jesus' ways because they're going to unfold in a uniquely powerful way. Well, two other important ideas I'd like to identify as we begin this study this morning. And the first idea is this, the place of the wilderness in our spiritual journey. We'll talk about that for a few moments, the place of the wilderness in our spiritual journey. 
in another well-known wilderness story in the Old Testament. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the people of Israel stood on the threshold of leaving the wilderness to enter the promised land. And the wilderness had been a long, difficult season for them. An entire generation of people had died. And so standing on the threshold of the promised land was certainly an exciting time. They were moving toward the future and, and moving toward the future with vision always is, it's, it's, it's an energizing time. And, but the challenges ahead were going to require deep dependence and courage. And so Moses called them to remember what they had learned in the wilderness. And it's recorded for us in Deuteronomy 8. And this is just a great passage talking about wilderness experiences. Verse 2. So remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And notice these next words, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. You see, the wilderness exposes a lot about us. It's where we discover the truth about what is in our hearts, what we most love and what we most value. Where we learn, are we willing to obey God? Well, verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. It's the passage Jesus would later quote. But in every word that comes from the mouth of God, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 days or 40 years. We learn humility in the wilderness. We learn to trust God's provision for us. And in verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. In the wilderness, we learn we can survive. We can flourish, we can endure, we can trust God's love, even when it's hard and painful. Um, and, and so you, you look at those words in Deuteronomy and you realize there are some pretty important things to discover in the wilderness. Maybe things we discover in no other place. You see, the wilderness is a place where God speaks to us in a unique way. Even when it's hard and painful. And maybe because it's in the wilderness, he has our full attention. And, and when we start to think about wilderness experiences, there are many ways into the wilderness. Um, we find ourselves in the wilderness when our lives or our plans or our dreams are disrupted, sometimes derailed. And we're left to reflect upon the implications. Life kind of goes off the rails for all kinds of reasons. And it's not what we thought it would be or thought it would look like. And it's not what we had hoped for. And we have to back up and begin to ask some honest questions. For example, maybe we in the wilderness after a time of major failure and the weight of our choices just kind of crash in around us. 
Or maybe we enter the wilderness with a stubborn physical or emotional condition that changes the course of our lives. An unexpected diagnosis that is life-threatening or life-ending. Our church family is grieving the story that's taking place with Gary Bealey right now. And I spent time with Gary uh, on Friday for a few hours with Gary and Nancy and their family. And, and just two weeks ago, this was not on their radar. And then suddenly, news of just complete liver failure and you've got one to three weeks to live. It's a wilderness experience. Maybe you're a student and you've worked hard throughout middle and high school and you've dreamed attending a a certain college, but you're not accepted. Or you finally finish college and graduate school. You feel well prepared for your career, but you, you can't find a job in your field. An unmarried person, and you've been praying for that right person to step into your life, but as the years slip away, so does your hope of marriage and family. Or the soul ache that comes in parenting a difficult son or a difficult daughter. Or the soul ache that invades your life because of an unfaithful spouse. Or the long-term care of an aging partner or a parent that requires more of you than you believe you have to give. We could go on and on, couldn't we? But here's here's what I know to be true. Every person in this room is familiar with the wilderness because we've all lived there. All of us have memories of times in the wilderness. Now, our wilderness experiences are unique. They might last weeks. They could last months or even years. And as as you have, I've lived through many wilderness experiences. It's not a one-and-done thing, is it? And so let's reflect back for just a few moments on your wilderness experiences. Maybe kind of capture in your mind a recent wilderness experience or maybe one that you're living in right now. I'm going to share with you three realities that I think are true of all wilderness experiences. First of all, the wilderness is always a confusing place of separation and struggle. It's a confusing place of separation and struggle. You see, we're surrounded, uh, in in wilderness seasons, we're surrounded by intense feelings. It could be fear or failure, disappointment, doubt, loneliness, isolation, obscurity. And at the moment that we're facing them, it's not easy to see our way out because of the intensity of what we're feeling. We We can be suffocated I was reflecting on one of my wilderness experiences, and I remember sitting alone in a friend's cabin in Elegy for a couple of days after resigning from a previous church. And for the first time in my professional career, I was completely separated from what I had done for 20 years. And I remember sitting there just confused and fearful, wondering if the, the life, the ministry I knew as a pastor was over. It's a time of separation. It's a type of of confusion. Here's the second thing about wilderness experiences. 
It's where we learn to be alone with God and ourselves. It's where we learn to be alone. This may be the most important work of the wilderness. We find ourselves strangely alone with our thoughts and fears. And we're afraid of being alone. We work really hard at not being alone. And the noise and the busyness we surround ourselves with is is the way we guard against being alone with our thoughts and our feelings. Well, the wilderness becomes a, a place of needed aloneness, needed isolation, needed solitude. It's not always physical in nature. It's not always that God places us in positions where we physically are completely alone. Some of you parents would relish that. (laughs) It's not always physical, is it? More often than not, it's emotional. And we find ourselves feeling separated and isolated and alone. And it's a uniquely personal experience. And it's where we have to face the truth about ourselves. And, And we see sometimes with a disturbing clarity... Things like our ego, our sense of entitlement, our jealousies, our anger, or the ways we've tried to manage or manipulate our lives to make them work, and we see our deep inadequacy and not being good enough. We may see our failures and the fear of not being loved. Friends, it's why you and I work to avoid the wilderness. These are not always easy or pleasant places to go to, but but it's there in the wilderness. We become honest enough with ourselves and honest enough with God to be able to hear God say or, or to be able to say to God, God, this is who I am right now and this is where I am. And we're able to name just the reality of, of where we are and how we see ourselves. And in these moments of raw honesty, we sense God's presence with us and God just kind of invades the space and even with our weaknesses and our insecurities, our possessiveness and grasping, even our sin and selfishness. And friends, when we respect the work of the wilderness... We surrender to God's purposes for us. Father, not my will, but yours. Only only those words, Father, not my will, but yours. Those words, it's not the words of defeated surrender that says this is who I am and who I will always be. It's a humble yet surprisingly hopeful surrender that says to God, I see who I am and and it's painful for me to see it so clearly. Whatever needs to be done in my life, you you will have to do. I can't change myself, but I'm willing for you to change me. And in that moment, it's remarkably hopeful because we begin to invite 
the presence and the person of God to step in and we begin to let go of the ways of thinking and the ways of living that haven't served us so well. And we invite God to replace them. Which leads to the third observation about the wilderness. The wilderness becomes a place of preparation. You see, in the wilderness, while it seems that God is withholding the very things we've come to depend upon other than him, things like ministry or a career, success, prestige, being respected, life legacy, material things, financial security, friends, health, all the things that we've looked to to kind of prop us up and and when they begin to fall away, we realize that God is preparing us for something we may not see yet. And as the distractions fade in importance, they are replaced with remarkable discernment and clarity. And now things like calling and obedience and resilience and trust and joy and thankfulness and faithfulness to Jesus become more clear to us and more guiding to us. The place of the wilderness in our spiritual journey may be one of the finest things or places where the most remarkable formation takes place in us. But there's a second idea that I want you to see this morning as an introduction And we're going to follow this track all the way through this month. We're going to look at Jesus' experience in the wilderness, and then we're going to compare it to something else, something maybe you've never thought about before. That Jesus' death on the cross was likely his most trying wilderness experience. The things we see in Jesus' wilderness experience at the beginning of his ministry, we again see around the time of his death in another wilderness experience. And so for the next few moments, I'm simply going to read to you. I've gone through the events in the final just 24 hours of Jesus' life. And I'm just gonna read a couple of passages to you and notice, notice the parallels. And so they went to a place called Gethsemane. It was actually a garden. And Jesus said to, his, said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began, and, and you listen to the language now, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he spoke these words to the disciples, and, and he says, now, now stay here, and and keep watch. So he went out a little farther by himself and Jesus fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Would you take this cup from me? Yet not what I will, but what you will. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, 
he prayed more earnestly in his sweats, or his, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you, are you really asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for, for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more he went away and prayed the same thing in the same way. And when he came back, he, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners, uniquely separated and alone. And then the story unfolds, and, and we read about the indignity of Jesus' trial, where his, who he was as a person was called into question and rejected. He was denied by Peter, one of his closest followers. And the sheer brutality and humiliation and aloneness of the crucifixion. Matthew would write, those who passed by hurled insults at him. Shaking their heads and saying, you, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, are you? Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Sound familiar? <laughs> if you're the son of God, Bring yourself down. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and maybe then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he was the one who said, I am the son of God. From noon to three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus is completely separated from his, from his father. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink and the rest of the crowd said, no, now just leave him alone. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Jesus was led into both wilderness experiences by the purposes of God by the direction of the Spirit. Think of it like this. His ministry on earth was bookended by wilderness experiences. It's where he started, and it's where his life on earth would finish at the cross. Thankfully, in each wilderness experience, the way of life of Jesus, the way of Jesus was powerfully displayed. And friends, it's where we find our way of life. Because I think what Jesus models for us is intended as a pattern. 
And we'll talk a lot more about that this next two or three weeks. So with that, let's stop and, and pray together as we prepare for the Lord's table. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus' humility and obedience when in the wilderness. Thank you for the way of life, the way of Jesus in the wilderness. A pattern for us as we find ourselves in our wildernesses. And so, Father, as we enter into this Lent season with, with more intentionality, we invite you to do something fresh in each of us. To examine our lives, examine the ways we live our lives. Examine what you've called us to and who you've called us to be and in all the ways that we lean on so many other things for our sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment. And, and Father, during these three or four weeks, may all of those things begin to fall away. May we find our life in you. And in this season of wilderness, and, and for those of you who are in seasons of wilderness, even as I speak, may this be a season that awakens us to life and to vitality and to fruitfulness. May it prepare us for things that even today we do not yet see in your purposes. So thanks, Father. Thanks for these divine interruptions in the rhythms and routines of our lives as we want to pay attention, as we, as we prepare to come into Easter uh, a month from now. And so, Father, we welcome your presence among us. In Jesus' name, amen.